If you've got your handout with you, I mentioned earlier, if you want to take out the uh, insert that says face to face, we're going to spend some time in um, thinking together about going deeper. We've been enjoying this opportunity to see individuals that Jesus called into his, his clan, his group, his group of disciples. As he called them, we're calling it Divine Encounters. And we're using the series called The Chosen to kind of elucidate and, and, and fill in some of the backstory that might be there. Even if it's fictitious to some degree, it, it helps us kind of emotionally and spiritually connect with some of these characters. So we've looked at some unlikely disciples. We've looked at Mary Magdalene, who was possessed with seven demons before Jesus called her, healed her. And brought her in as a disciple. We've looked at Matthew, the hated tax collector, one who was far away from anybody in their culture. Jesus changed his life. Jesus called him, and he became one of the core pillars of the church. We looked last week at these little ones, at children, and how God used the relationship with kids and even called kids to be disciples and use them as models and examples for us. And so today we're going to look at someone another unlikely character, someone that none of the other rabbis in Jerusalem or or the Holy Land at the time of Jesus would have picked to be a key disciple, but one who became a pillar in the body of Christ. We're talking today about Simon, Simon Peter. Simon son of Jonah, son of John. And as we look at uh, Peter today, um, we're going to look at a story that really solidifies his calling and his call from Jesus to go deeper, to dig deeper, to grow more. And I hope you're here today with that passion or that call on your life as well, that God would use Peter as an example, as a model, and say to all of us, go deep, go deep, go deep. Of course, uh, Peter had a background as a fisherman. When Peter woke up in the morning, it wasn't a lot of question about what he was going to do with his life. He was going to use that day to cast nets into the Sea of Galilee. Peter came from a place called Bethsaida, Bethsaida means house of fish. <laughs> What's that tell you about, <laughs> you know, that community? When he found a, a, a partner to marry in uh, the, the movie they call her Eden, she was from Capernaum. Capernaum had this huge place to process fish. It was the biggest place on the, on the sea to process fish. So instead of Eden moving to Bethsaida with Peter, Peter moved to Capernaum with Eden and... Uh, took over a spot to live there. In fact, he became a prominent resident of Capernaum in the long run and used that spot to process fish. That was his key thing. He, uh, each and every day, he was about that. Now, it starts off by just saying, this is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 and following. If you've got your Bibles, jump in with us. If you want to do it off the page or off the screen, that's good as well. One day as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, or sometimes referred to as the Lake Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. 
They were actually listening to Jesus, who is the word of God. As Jesus walked along the shore and was teaching followers, teaching the crowds that were around him. Verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. That tells you a little bit about what they're up to. They've been fishing all night. We're going to find that out later. And now they're cleaning up their mess. They're getting ready for the next day, and they're washing and even repairing their nets. They're at the water's edge, but they're not in their boats at the moment. These boats that were left by the fishermen. So what you've got here is scene one, Jesus walking along and noticing two boats. Notice, while the people are listening to his teaching, Peter, it's not what it says, they were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out into, uh, out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. In this case, uh, you think about it for a minute. Jesus gets close enough to Peter. They've already known each other. He's already prayed for his mother-in-law. He, we've already had some interaction. But Peter is now in a probably pretty frustrated mode because he's, as we're going to find out, uh, found no fish, no success for his business really all night. And he is not one who's following Jesus at this time. The people are walking by, and it's almost as if Jesus is feeling um, claustrophobic. There's a couple of times where Jesus gets out into a boat or away from, or even on the Sermon on the Mount, lifts up apart from the crowd so that his teaching verbally, vocally, and, uh, and uh, in earshot could go forward and spread. Peter is busy. Peter has his to-do list, and he's going through it, and he is not yet connected to, to Christ. He is um, distracted, probably, in a lot of ways. He's probably disinterested, and he's probably uh, frustrated and preoccupied. Let me just pause there for a minute. I know sometimes we come to worship. Sometimes even in church, we might be disinterested or dissatisfied or distracted. Does that ever happen to anybody else? Are any of the rest of you uh, <laughs> attention deficit disorders like me? You know? uh, how many of the rest of you are looking down at your phone with your to-do list in hand? As soon as I get out of here, here's what I'm going to do. You know, got to get this done because Sunday leads to Monday. And you know what you got to do on Monday, right? Uh, Be careful because that's where Peter finds himself when Jesus gets a hold of him. He is distracted. He is distressed. He's actually discouraged because the night before had been fruitless. And you need to know that even if you come to Christ today with those kinds of distractions or those kinds of disappointments, he will still reach through all of those and grab your heart. He will grab your soul. He will build you up and cause you to do what he did with Peter, to go deep, to go deep, and to find this face-to-face encounter with the Lord himself. Be careful. That's where... 
See, Peter just wanted to live a normal life. I don't think he had this idea in mind at all of being Jesus's key follower, of being a pillar in the body of Christ, of being the one who one day would preach the sermon on the day of Pentecost and have 3,000 people come to a relationship with Jesus and get baptized in one day. He didn't have that in mind. I mean, you can see that through this. He's washing his net. His identity is in the nets. His identity is in the boat. And yet Jesus has something so much greater, so much deeper, so much higher, just like we sang about today. Jesus is about to mess up Peter's life. You know, he's going to mess with his nets that he's just cleaned. He's going to get him so filled that Peter's going to be amazed and called. Well, what do you think Jesus was, uh, was teaching? I just put up uh, a picture of this boat here. In 1986, it was a severe drought in uh, the Holy Land. And they found some, some digs. They found some things that they hadn't found before because the edges of the shores were drying up. And in 1986, they found this boat. They ended up calling it the Jesus boat. Not because Jesus was ever in it, they don't know. But it was the common fishing boat of Jesus' day. And that's where the word that it says, he saw two boats. This is the word for this particular vessel. It was 27 feet long and seven and a half feet wide. That was kind of the standard uh, practice. They were rowed and they were sailed, both. You could sail if there was wind or you could row if there was not wind. Now the Sea of Galilee is 17 miles long and 8.1 miles wide. So it's a fairly significant body of water, sometimes called a sea, sometimes called a lake, depending on your context. 445 feet deep. So fairly significant as a body of water. The fishermen would mostly fish at night. They, they never fished during the day, and they would use lights to attract the fish into, then it's a tend to uh, fish more along the shore where the fish could come to the surface than they would out in the deep. That's why it's significant when Jesus tells Peter to go out in the deep. Now, Jesus loved to use parables. He, he used to love to tell stories. You know, he told parables about growing things for the agricultural crowd. He told stories about fishermen fishing. And he, I was thinking about this one from Matthew 13. Here's Jesus actually choosing his disciples and talking about a parable of netting people to choose. Listen to what he says. Once again, the kingdom of God is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. Isn't that what Jesus is about right now? He's catching all kinds of fish. He's got people coming to him like the rich young ruler that goes away sorrowful because he didn't want to give up his possessions that had gripped his heart. You know? He was calling people like Mary Magdalene, like Matthew, and like Simon Peter to himself. Look what he says. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up onto shore. When they sat down and collected the good fish in the baskets, they threw the bad ones away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Whoa, what a picture. I mean, this would be the kind of parable 
that fishermen would understand. You toss some and you keep some. Now, Jesus called them all. Jesus wanted everyone to be his disciple. But some, as I mentioned, chose against that Jesus used these everyday models and examples to uh, show the principles of God. Now, I want to uh, show a clip here from The Chosen. It's of Peter relating to his wife. In the, in the picture, she's called Eden. And their conversation about spiritual matters, because Peter, prior to coming to Christ, is in the movie, uh, uh, in a crisis. Peter comes to Jesus numerous times about taxes. By the way, Bethsaida had a lot higher taxes than Capernaum. It could be that part of Peter's motivation to move to Capernaum was that it had a lower tax rate. Peter seems to be maybe preoccupied with taxation. <laughs> maybe he's just in debt. We don't know. You know, He's the one who comes to Jesus and says, what are we going to do about paying our taxes? He comes to Jesus two or three times about taxes. And in this story, there's the backstory that might help explain that as he talks with his wife. Could you hit the lights, Brent? Uh, I can't do this. Jimmy? Please, please listen to me. I haven't been honest with you. There's no woman. It's not gambling. Look, a few days ago, I looked you in the eyes and I told you, I've got this. I lied. I've been fishing on Shabbat because I've had no choice. Andrew has texts. I've got texts. We haven't been able to keep up. I did some things. I'm not proud of to fix it. And now it's gone bad. And we're in trouble. We? What do you mean? I, I'm in trouble. But we, because I need a miracle or I can be in big trouble. I'm not a child. Stop speaking of riddles. Tell me what's happening. I could go to prison. We could lose the house. What? The cut in my ear. It's from a Roman. Simon! If I don't catch a ton of fish or get some help somehow, they'll arrest me. Or kill you. They are Romans. Yeah, so I need to go Go now. where? The fish. I gotta spend the rest of the week doing nothing but catch every fish I can and hope I can fix this somehow. So that's why we can't take your Ema. It's just not possible. No, right? she has nothing to do with this. I will not let you punish her for your sins. Eden, you can't do you this alone. can't tell me what I can or can't do. You have had your eyes closed around here, and God is with me, even if you aren't. Sorry. Where is your faith? Hmm? What? You heard me. And faith isn't going to get me more fish. I'm not talking about tonight. I am talking about long before tonight. You've been before it was gambling and now it's working and trying to do everything yourself it's a popular Simon fixing everything and charming everyone all by yourself and fishing on holy days without even thinking about it with no respect for our God what about Bikoch Nefesh? we can break a commandment to save a life our lives are at stake here you know that because you have not pursued the Lord lately not like the man that I met. 
that is why you are stuck and you feel desperate and now you're off to try to fix it yourself again. So go. I don't want you here tonight anyway. I'm sorry. I know you're sorry. I know. And I'm, I'm glad you're at least honest with me. But no more talking. Maybe God can get your attention now. Wow. Maybe God can get your attention now. Faith and trust. Instead of trying to do it all himself, putting his faith and trust in God. Let's read a little further and jot this down if you would. Let's talk first in the going deeper about deeper obedience. Deeper obedience. Doing what the Lord says even if you don't feel like doing what the Lord says. Doing what the Lord says even when it's not convenient. That's what going deeper is all about. Notice what it says. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the what? The deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we have worked hard. You catch that? We've worked hard. All night. I mean, that desperation is kicked in and he is trying to solve the problem he's got. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. The professionals have ended up empty, void, vacant. And here comes Jesus trying to tell them what to do with their own business. First of all, he's telling them to go out in the deep. Well, they didn't go out in the deep. They fished along the shore. He's telling them at the time of day that nobody fished. They they fished at night. This is in the middle of the day. He's violating all the rational, logical reasons why they would not be fishing. And you sense, master, we've worked hard all night. We're the pros here. Can you catch that frustration coming through and we haven't caught anything now here's the four words right there because you say so Uh, those end up being the four words that change Peter's life and I want to tell you today they're the four words that'll change your life Notice what he says. He says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because your word says it. In fact, one version says it that way. But on your word, I'll do it. Because you say so. See, he's taken Peter deep. Taking Peter into the, in a way, isolation. I mean, God often pulls us away from the shore to get our attention, to intimately draw closer to us. That's what a retreat is all about. Going deeper with the Lord often requires isolation, which we reject. We we resist. Isolation can lead to preparation, and that's what God's doing here. Go deep with the Lord so you can go long with him. 
He's calling Peter into the deep water for preparation. And he wants to speak to him. I say it this way. God wants to take Peter out of the world so he can begin taking the world out of Peter. Yeah, that's what's going on here. As he calls him to this deep place, he says, I will let down the nets because you say so. Think of those words for a minute. Because you say so. Jesus calls on all of us to answer his call with those four words. That's what obedience is all about. I may not feel it, but because you say so. Parents, isn't that what you're looking for from your kids? When you tell them something to do, don't you want them to just say, well, because you say so. Ha! <laughs> Grandparents, isn't that what you want from your grandkids? You know? You say, uh, when I call you for dinner, I want you to just say, because you say so, I'm coming. Not some reason why you've got to finish your game. That never happens to anybody else, does it? Yeah. Well, here, hear me. Let's just say those words together. Because you say so. Let's do it one more time. Because you say so. Oh, the power of obedience in those words. Now, now let me throw out a phrase that you might hear around your kids. And you guys help me because I just love to hear it. And I don't hear it from my grandkids. You guys help me out. So if I say something, let's do that. Uh, when I call you for dinner, I want you to say. Okay, there you go. Would you please stop fighting with your brother or sister? Stop screaming for no reason. <laughs> you got the idea. I just had to hear it a little bit, you know. But you know what? It's not the hearing of it. It's the obedience of it. It's the acting out of it. It's when we say to the Lord, both silently and publicly and in, in, in person, because you say so. See, this reluctance that Peter had saying, I'm the expert here. What in the world are you calling me to? Was directly related to his saying, because you say so. He let, when they had done so, done what? Let down their nets for a catch. They caught such a number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats and came to help them. And they came and gave, they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I mean, think about it for a moment. You know, jot this down. Jesus often asks to borrow something. What did he want to borrow from Peter? The boat, his time, his energy, his clean nets. He's going to borrow. No. Let me just say it this way. What is in your life that you're willing to yield to God and say, because you say so, it's yours. I mean, every item in your life, you should be saying, it's not mine. The relationships you have, even the kids and grandkids you've got, they're not yours. They're his. And he may call on you to say, surrender, yield, 
give. Because you know what? <laughs> you can't outgive him. You cannot outgive God. He is going to want to borrow something. Now, you're going to be the steward of that. You need to make your house payment. You need to change the oil in your car. You need to do things that would be responsible, but it's the Lord's car. It's the Lord's house. It's the Lord's call. It's the Lord's period. Because you say so. You can borrow whatever you want. Could I say something else here? God's blessings often mess up your life. Okay? What happens here? The blessing of God breaks the nets that Peter's using to make a living. <laughs> Imagine that for a minute. You know, the things you pray for, the things you yearn for, the things you long for are going to change your life. How many of you, when you were younger, yearned for kids? Kids are the greatest thing God ever made, but they mess up your life, don't they? <laughs> Have I got agreement or am I the only one, you know? How many yearn for grandkids? Now, they're a little bit better because <laughs> they're messing up somebody else's life too, you know, right? Right? The best things in this world are also messy. Yep. God will give you some things that you'll have to take care of. He'll give you possessions that you've got to steward. They'll mess up your life. Remember when your life was so easy? Remember when you went to college and you had everything fit in a car? It ain't like that anymore, is it? You know? Your life's messed up. And you're glad that it's messed up. You know? God's blessings will often break your net. He told a story about new wine in old wineskins. No, no, no. You've got to get new wineskins for the new wine to contain it. He's calling you. He's calling me to give them our nets and to realize they're going to get messed up. Follow the nets for a minute. First, Peter's out fishing, empty nets but probably get a bunch of seaweed, a bunch of vegetation in them because Peter has to come back and clean and repair the nets. So you got empty nets, you got clean nets. Jesus calls him and says, put the nets out. Put them back out. Put them in the deep water. And then they get full, and then they're broken nets. They're so full that they can't even contain everything that is in them. Jesus calls Peter to a deeper obedience. And he says, put down those nets for a catch. This is going to cost Peter time. It was costing Peter sleep already. He just wanted to go home and take a nap, get ready for the next day. It probably cost him his reputation because here's all these people on shore that know how to fish, and they're going, what's Peter doing in the middle of the day? Answer that kind of ridicule, huh? In uh, Peter's case, there's not so much a moment of clarity, but a reluctant act of faith. I call it faith act. It's not so much, oh, he's going to put out my nets and he's going to fill them. He's not even thinking. He's unexpecting. He's not expecting what Jesus is going to do. But in obedience, reluctant faith act, 
is okay because you say so, because of your will. I put it this way, the, long, the, the life we long to live is found in the obedience God calls us to give. That's how it works. Remember the rich young ruler who walked away saying, I can't give. And he was what? Sad, sorrowful, grieving. One more. Thy will be done is the infallible road to total joy. We're going to see Peter with joy on his face. We're going to see Peter with joy in his heart. Why? Because he submitted. Because he said, because you say so. I will do that. Here's another way to put it. If we are unwilling to do the ridiculous, we're unlikely to see the miraculous. The miracle of the fish is directly related to the obedience of the disciple. Catch that? The miracle of the fish is directly related to the obedience of the disciple. And that's the way it is in all of our lives. The miracles that God wants to bring, and he says, I will give you so much you can't even imagine what I have in store for you. That's directly related to our yielding, our going deeper, our willingness to obey. Maybe Jesus is calling you to forgive someone and you go, I can't do that. But because you say so. Lord, seven times 77, I'm supposed to forgive. Okay, because you say so. Lord, you want me to give Back to you in the church. And you want me to give into ministry? I can't do that. But because you say so, I will obey your call on my life. Lord, you don't want me to wash someone's feet and serve. I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable just coming and sitting. I don't want to serve in the body of Christ. But because you say so, you know, there, there's children around here to love on and I don't feel called to children, but oh, because you say so. What if we turned into, because you say so, disciples, going deeper in obedience all the time, regularly? Right now, what's God calling you to a deeper belief, a deeper obedience? What call is on your life where you need to say, I don't feel this, but because you Say so. Repeat that one more time. Because you say so. Thy will be done. Who said that? Who said thy will be done? <laughs> Jesus. In the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. Let's move on and then I've got another clip to show here. Let's talk about Peter and his relationship with the Lord. Because the deeper obedience and this miracle led him to a deeper point with the Lord. I call it deeper repentance. It's when you take your life, that you're living your life, Peter's just this normal guy wanting to do his thing, and God has something totally different. It's a turn. Repentance means a turn from one thing to another. Peter turns from his life the way he wants, doing what he wants, solving his problem to the Lord. Now, can you imagine a boat or two full of fish they say that's a year's wages coming in in one miracle. A year's wages. It'd take him a year to fill two boats with fish. What would that be today? Let's say 50 grand. 
That would solve a lot of tax debt, wouldn't it? That would solve a lot of financial problems you've got discussing with your wife, wouldn't it? Yeah. His repentance, his turn, was directly related to seeing Jesus for who he was. He already had this idea of who Jesus was. Now he sees so clearly because Jesus entered his life, caused him to go deep, and blessed his socks off. Took him to a deeper place. When Simon saw this, what did he do? He fell at Jesus' feet. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Don't you know who I am? How could you, the Savior, the Master, the Messiah, even relate to me? For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. See, he's changing his conviction. He's changing from his direction. He's changing from one way of life to another. And he's saying in the middle of it, Lord, I am not a good man. Now you'll notice numerous times, people bow down and worship at Jesus' feet. Now let me just mention, if somebody ever says to you, Jesus was just a good man, no good man would allow someone to worship them. So that rules that out. He is either the master and savior and Lord, as he's declared here, Lord, I am a sinful man, or he is a bad man. He is not a good man. You can't be a good man and allow someone else to worship you when you're not God. It answers that question. Uh, let's dig into this with this clip. Put that down for a catch. Thank you. A little farther out. I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. That's your word.
brother and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long. We believe, but my faith, how sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. I'll take the fish to the market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> You've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. Oh, that's one of my favorite scenes, huh? Is that good? You catch where he's bowing down on the shore and he says, depart from me, I am a sinful man. I mean, that's the idea of deeper repentance. When we see Jesus for who he is, when we see God accurately and clearly, we see ourselves more clearly. When you see who God is, you can't miss who you are. And that's the position of most usefulness, when we know who we are under God, who we are in his sight. Now, the key thing is <laughs> he makes us what we are. He takes our sinfulness when we admit it, and he loves to wipe out our sin. He says, I love to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. I want to take and purify your life. Whenever we see God clearly, we see ourselves accurately. Remember Isaiah? He saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And then what's it say? He says, Woe is me! I am undone. I am a sinful man. He says, I, I, I have unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. When you see God for who he is, you can't help but say, whoa, and that's good. 
That's a good place to be. If you want God to use you, it's not out of pride because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Oh, brothers and sisters, that we would be like Peter and say those very words, Lord, depart from me. From so now what's interesting is Jesus, as if he says, I ain't going anywhere. You can chase me, you can try to chase me away, but I'm not leaving. I'm with you and I will be with you forever, even to the end of the world, even to the end of the age. We are led to a place of recognition of our unworthiness. Deeper repentance leads to reorganizing our unworthiness and reorienting our worship. Our worship should flow out of a sense of who we are. The amazing grace song that saved a wretch like me. That's the amazing, God's grace becomes all the more amazing the more we realize who we are under him. We realize his grace is abundant because we look inside our hearts and realize if it weren't for his grace, we would be obliterated. There's no way we would even stand in the presence of the Lord. We see God clearly and we see ourselves and our worship flows from that. If we never see Jesus clearly, we'll never obey Jesus completely. Recognizing our brokenness is not a disqualification. It's a prerequisite. Jot that down. Recognizing our own brokenness is a prerequisite, not a disqualification. He he doesn't say, I'm leaving you because you're needing me. He says, I'm drawing closer to you. I want to forgive you. I want to clean you up. I am not going anywhere. So Peter goes from control to trust. Peter goes from condemnation to confession. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Peter goes from a reasoning, rational mind to the miraculous. And he sees what God is up to. And that's the same response Jesus gives to us. Don't think if he knows you intimately and he knows all your sinfulness that he's going to reject you. Just the opposite. He wants to shore you up. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to draw closer to you and allow your life to shine uh, for him. One last one here. Deeper repentance leads to deeper ministry. So we've got deeper obedience, deeper repentance, and then deeper ministry. Because you know how this verse ends, right? Jesus calls him not just to worship him. That's good. That's good in between. Not just to repent, but to be utilized. To let his life be a part of the plan. To reach others. What's he say to him? (laughs) Catch this. Don't be afraid. It's good that he said that. Because you know what he says next? From now on, you will fish for people. You know, you think this was good. I've got something so much greater than filling a boat or two with fish. I've got something that's going to be eternal. Fish get roasted and die and get eaten. People live forever. I'm going to call you to something so much greater than you could even imagine. I'm going to call you to serve the body of Christ. To serve the cause 
of Christ, to serve the kingdom of God. I'm calling you, Peter, to be a rock. In fact, that's what he names him. He changes Simon's name to Peter. Peter, and he says, on this rock. When Peter declares, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he says, on that rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Peter, this wishy-washy man who his wife said he wasn't even full of faith anymore, becomes a pillar of faith, a fisher of men, someone who would use the skills that he'd learned about net fishing to net in the kingdom of God. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything. What's the key word there? Followed him. I mean, get down to it. That's the ease of being a believer. The ease of being a Christian. It's not, I got to do this, 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 and a big list of to-dos. Or, listen, well, that means I don't do this, I don't do this. I, I did to-dos and two-don'ts. No, 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 no. There's one thing. There's one thing, and it's right there. Follow him. Follow the Lord Jesus, and all the do's and all the don'ts are going to be taken care of. You know, don't look at the do's and and don'ts. Look strictly at the following Jesus. That was his call for every disciple. That's his call for you and his call for me. Following Jesus as a husband and father, as a daughter and mother, as a friend and believer, as a community member, a neighbor and friend. What is he calling you to do? He's calling you to follow him, follow his heart, follow his love, follow his ministry. We follow and I, and if you say so, God, in this ministry, recognize that our brokenness is a prerequisite. Did I go backwards on that? Yeah, here's what I want to do. We serve an if you say so or because you say so Savior, and he calls us to be an if you say so or because you say so people. So here are these nets that were empty and then washed. These nets were then put in the deep and filled. These nets were then broken. Now these nets are left with the boats. Peter leaves behind those things that were, used to be so much a core to his identity. God calls you. Don't have your identity in anything other than him. Than him. Now, he may call you to use your vocation to serve him. Not everybody leaves their fishing boats behind. Some use their fishing boats to serve. That's fantastic. Let him call you where you are to be called. And let his call on you shine. Obeying Jesus will bring joy. Peter's life is, it's changed. From now on, he'll never be the same. It's drastically different. And he'll never be disqualified. Obeying Jesus brings joy. And repenting brings our relationship provides our relationship with him. And our ministry gives us our destiny, what his big plan is for life. So is there anything you are resisting in your life today? Is there anything you're resisting to obey that you need to say, because you say so, Lord? Anything you're saying no to that you need to say, yes, Lord, in
It all hinges on that. I'd like for us to head into a time of communion. I'd like for you to use that phrase as we prepare your hearts for communion today. Because you say so. At one point, Jesus was in the garden and he said that very thing. Uh, If there's any other way, let it be. But because you say so. Not my will, but thy will be done. What what, what if you come alongside the, the Christ and repeat that phrase? Anything that's in your life right now that he's calling you to say that phrase over because you say so. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for loving us, for loving even us. Thank you for loving us anyway. Thank you for loving us every way. Most of all, thank you for giving us Jesus. Lord, for this example today of Simon Peter, thank you for showing us through his life how you're calling us all to a deeper walk with you, a deeper obedience, a deeper repentance, and a deeper ministry. Lord, call every one of us into that deeper walk. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.